All right. Good morning, Christ Central. Uh, my name is Jimmy. I'm one of your pastors here, and it is uh, my privilege and honor to bring you God's Word today. Today's text comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 to 13. This is the reading of God's Word. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly, and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. And now, for now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. Praise be to God. When I started ministry in 1990, I had a lot of hopes and dreams. I wanted to see nations come to Jesus. I wanted to see scores of missionaries being sent out from the campus ministry I was involved with. I wanted to preach the word of God and help people come to see what an amazing Savior he is. I wanted to build up a church of the next generation that would love him love one another, share the gospel with their neighbors, their friends, and their family. I wanted to build a leadership team that would be gifted and strong and be able to stand together as we serve the Lord. Maybe many of you also had dreams of ministry. Perhaps when you decided, yes, I want to lead a small group, or yes, I would love to be uh, involved in children's ministry or be a youth teacher. Or maybe some of you, as you started the privilege to lead the congregation in Sunday worship, you felt that awe and trembling and you had dreams of all that it would be. For those who serve in welcome ministry or any of the various ministries at Christ Central, we all had some picture of how we could serve others, serve God. And even with our life, there are dreams. There are many youth students today, junior hires and high schoolers, who are looking forward to the next level. And unfortunately, those of you who are graduating, you didn't get the kind of graduation and end to your time in junior high or high school as, as I know that many of the others have had. And maybe you have dreams of what high school will look like for junior hires. And for some of you in high school, maybe you're having dreams and wondering, what kind of college will I get into? Who will, I, who will accept me and what will college be like? Will I move away? Will I stay home? There are some of you who wonder, even to this day, will I marry? Who will I marry? And when I get married, if I have kids, what will they look like? For many of you who are married, you're wondering, when, we, when a child comes, what will that be like to become parents? For some of you who are maybe just looking for a job right now, Maybe your first job, the excitement, the dreams, the hopes. 
And then the reality is that the world that we live in, as it sets in, reminds us that it is a fallen world. It's a world full of sin, my own sin, the sin of others. And there are circumstances and events that are beyond our control, that we have no say as to what happens, when it happens. And there are times when we end up in stages of life or even in ministry that we would have never guessed. I know when I started in ministry, I never thought that I would travel the world. If you told me in the beginning of my seminary years that I would travel almost every continent, I would have said, you're crazy. But whatever the expectations are, as reality sets in, there's a lot of challenges that comes not only to our faith, but to our hearts. For many of us, we might have experienced uh, some of the turmoil that happens in church ministries. When I was a, a, a teenager, the church that my family attended split in half, and there was so much tension and fighting going on, I remember thinking, I don't know if I want to go to church. Or maybe for many of us who are in ministry as pastors, I, there's, there's several on our staff I'm sure my brothers can relate, but there are times when you step off the pulpit and the first words come out of your mouth is, I'm sorry, Lord. <laughs> I think that was horrible. And then someone says, I was so blessed. I know as a minister, there are days when I wonder, um, what's God doing in my life? What's God doing in the local church? There are days when I was confused. And I thought, that God would bless this particular endeavor or, or this ministry activity. And when it doesn't go the way you planned or the way you thought, there's confusion. Perhaps you experienced this as a parent when you had a child and they start behaving in ways that don't, didn't fit the dream or the hope that you had. Or a marriage that, that on your wedding day you had all these dreams and aspirations of how you would love each other and then the first year of marriage was more painful than sweet. And as we come back to the idea of ministry, you know, ministry in a sense can be found at the home where couples are either helping each other grow in Christ or leading each other apart. Where parents can be making disciples at home with their children or not. Our workplace can be a wonderful place of evangelism where unbelievers are around us constantly and we can see that as an opportunity for ministry. Ministry is one of the most beautiful life experiences a human soul could ever experience, to be able to talk about a love that we have, but it can also be one of the most painful ones. And that's why ministry is messy, because it's run by sinners who are deemed by the grace of God, who get together and try to love one another and serve our good and mighty God. But as the scripture says, it often is like iron sharpening iron. And when iron sharpens iron, sparks fly. Ultimately, ministry is Christ's heart and care for people in and through the local church. Ministry is our opportunity to represent Jesus in, in the local church, to love and care for one another. And then as we leave the fellowship, that we have the privilege and opportunity to represent him to a world that is dying without hope and without Christ. Ministry also forces us to learn that love isn't always how it makes us feel. 
That sometimes in ministry there are relational conflicts. That perhaps one of the most hurtful and difficult times in ministry is when brother and brother or sister and sister are having a relational conflict. And there's no wound that hurts deeper than a wound that comes from a brother. Well, today in, here's, in today's context, the Apostle Paul pours out his heart and his love for the Thessalonian church. It's filled with incredible joys as well as incredible pains. The highs are very high, and the lows are very low. Because in the end, ministry is a labor of love. And the power that moves ministry is not giftedness. It's not eloquence. It is not intelligence or even sheer luck. It's the power of God, our God, at work in the hearts of his people. And, it, and he sets us free from the power of sin and darkness so that we can live joyfully in the grace that we stand. We get a chance to speak about him. We get a chance to invite others to get to know him. And we get the chance to grow, to become more like Christ, because that's our ultimate direction, is that we're becoming more like Jesus. And the practicing of that life is a choice to live in a foretaste of heaven. With all these ideas of ministry, with life and dreams and realities clashing with our dreams, I want to share with you three realities of ministry that Paul seems to share here as he pours out his heart and love for the Thessalonians. The first reality of ministry that I want to share with you is that ministry is filled with intense pain and joy. In verses 6 to 8, the Apostle Paul writes, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. Here the Apostle Paul speaks about the distress and the affliction that he faced. Previously in verse 1, he says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer. What he could no longer bear was the distress that he was facing. He was worried about this young church. He was distressed over the church in Thessalonica because they were young in their faith, and he had left them too early, that there was this sense of persecution, there was, a, there was a danger for their own life that Paul and his band of missionaries had to leave quickly, earlier than they had desired. And he reminded them that this is what they were destined for in verse 3, and in verse 4 that they would suffer affliction, persecution. And as they were fleeing for their safety, he also reminded them that there's an attack from the enemy for fear that the tempter might have tempted them and that their labor would have been done in vain. For a young church, they were susceptible to false teaching and the pressure from the enemy to leave their faith. And that somehow behind every attack of the enemy, there's usually a weakness that's exposed. And here for the Thessalonian church, it was the fact that they were still young in their faith, that they were still growing and understanding this commitment to follow Christ. For many of us in ministry, there's no greater pain that we face than when we know that someone else is in distress and, and we almost feel helpless and we don't know what to do. But not only did Paul go through this distress and affliction or pain, but there was also great joy. 
Because you see, after Timothy returns, he returns with good news. In verse 6, as he returns with what, what, is, what is used here as good news is the word evangelism. And often this word evangelism was used in relationship to the gospel. But here it was good news to Paul. And it was so good that he used this word to speak of the fact that he heard of how they were standing firm and fast in their faith. When they stood fast in their faith, this term is used as a military term, meaning not to retreat in the face of an attack. And that's what the Thessalonians were doing. They were standing fast. And this brought Paul great comfort. And it also brought him great joy, so much that he used the word good news. Not only did he say that, but he also said, I can live. That we can live. We now live. It's almost like I can take a breath. And in verse 9, he went on to say that he feels so much joy for the sake of our God because he heard this good news that they were standing fast. And not only that, but they were praying for Paul and his brothers as well, as much as Paul was praying for them. As pastors and leaders, there's often the reality sometimes of carrying the weight of ministry more than we should. There's limits to what we can do and what we can't. And Paul faced that limitation as he had to leave. He had no way to communicate with the Thessalonians. And so when he sent young Timothy, it was leaving uh, himself uh, as if he was alone. And there was this longing to understand what was happening. In ministry, when we feel like there's a burden that's too hard to carry, we're often driven to prayer. This is also an expression of love. For how else can we love people that we care about if not bringing our concerns for them to God in prayer? To love too much, to love too little, these are the constant challenges because this is the cost of loving. When we love someone, we leave, our, we leave ourselves vulnerable to that pain of possibly being hurt as well. And as we think about this, this is the challenge of every ministry, of every church, of every small group leader, of every teacher, of every person who invests their time and energy to serve and to help others. You know, there's, a, there's, there's this pain and joy that a lot of pastors experience, especially when we transition ministries. Uh, perhaps some of you know but I started serving here at Christ Central in November of 2017. Prior to that, I served as a pastor for a church called Good News Chapel for about 15 years. It was a, it was a church that I helped start, and it was a ministry very much like Christ Central. And as I was having the first initial conversations about the decision to transition out of being the pastor of that church to coming here, and being a pastor for family and small groups, I want to tell you that was probably one of the most difficult conversations I've had to have with people I loved so much. It was both a deep pain as well as a joy looking forward to where God was leading next. But during that time, there were a lot of tears. There were words of trying to affirm the church that it wasn't them. It wasn't like there was a problem. It was just this conviction of God's leading. 
there were attempted explanations as to help, trying to help them understand why I was transitioning. I remember when we told our kids, Joshua and Elizabeth, that we were leaving Good News Chapel, they started crying. And I remember they cried so many tears. And I understood their pain. But I also realized that those tears were tears of love. It's a church they grew up in. They were baptized there. And all of a sudden, during their formative years, they're being asked to leave. Not only was it hard for my children, it was hard for my wife and myself. And as we were leaving, we, were, we weren't leaving a job. We weren't leaving a place. We were leaving family to join another family. Our hearts ached for the very first year. I have to admit, the first year was a little bit of a blur of transition. I was filled with both the emptiness of the people I missed as well as the joy of the people I was meeting. There was a grieving of a loss of an old friend and friends and family as well as the joy of meeting all the new people and the new friends and the new children. And following the Lord in ministry is often filled with both joy and pain. The second reality of ministry is that ministry recognizes the authority and power of God at work. In verses 9 to 10, it says, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith? You know, there's no greater joy than to see an answer to your prayers happen right before you. And when Timothy came back and gave such a good report that the Thessalonian church was standing fast, he rejoiced. And he burst out in thanksgiving to God. And as, he, as Paul did that, what I see here and what we see here is that Paul, though he was an apostle, perhaps the greatest of apostles, that he was also just a mere man. He had limitations. He had frustrations. He was subject to fear and even the attacks of the enemy. He yearned and hoped and even hurt. He suffered, but he always knew in whose hands he was in. This is why prayer is so beautiful and it's so fitting at this time as Paul not only speaks of his, this, this, of his affliction and, and hurt, but also of his joys. Prayers are human way to seek help from God. It's when we begin to realize through prayer that I have so many limitations, that I'm powerless in many ways, and I seek the power of the one who is unlimited in that power, who has the ability to do all things according to his will. And so Paul says he prayed most earnestly night and day. And this is this you could feel his, his yearning, his longing, as well as his, his worry and concern. That he longs to return to them so that he could help them continue to grow, to supply what is lacking in their faith. You know, God's power in ministry is often sometimes uh, spoken of, but prayer and turning to him in moments of desperation is always a beautiful thing, and it always brings glory to God. And it really humbles us to remember we really don't have much power at all. 
You know, in 2012, I took a trip back to India, a place I told myself I would never return after I visited there in 2005. And so after 17 years, uh, um, I visited there, and I got a chance to visit a northern part of India and meet a native uh, Indian family, the Matthews, and their story was an amazing story. So I met two of the sons and their parents and, and, and about 40 children who lived on the, on the premise with them as an orphanage. And, and as we sat over tea one evening, uh, one of the pastors, the son, began to tell the story and the testimony of how this orphanage had come to be. And he said many years ago, his mother was praying and she felt this need to start an orphanage. And she didn't know what to do with this, this yearning of her heart. There was no property, there was no funds, there was no way that an orphanage can begin. It would take way too much resources. And so in prayer, she said, God, I have nothing. But if you provide, then I will obey and follow. And so she started speaking about this dream to some of her friends and word spread. And eventually, there was a woman who was not a Christian. She was a Hindu. And she heard about this desire for an orphanage to start. And she came up to the mother of the Matthews and she said, you know what? You can have my property. You can take it all. And she was like, oh my gosh, God provided the land. But she said it was, it was big, but it wasn't quite big enough. If we could only have this other parcel right next to it, oh God, uh, would this be too much? And what came to their surprise was that the man who owned the parcel next to it also came and said, you know what? If you need this land, you can have this too. I know this sounds kind of outlandish in some sense, but this is the power of our God at work, doing things that we ourselves are unable to do. And so the testimony continued that month-to-month needs, food, clothing, school materials, the things that they would need to help provide for the children who lived with them, it was a monthly demonstration of God's constant provision. Now, I know that when you hear stories like this, I know I used to think, well, what about me, God? Why don't you do those things for me? But it wasn't God who was absent. It was me. You see, right after this mission trip, Good News Chapel was about to leave and launch from the mother campus of the Korean church and, and, and launch into the community, and a lot of it was dealing with space issues. It, it was just too crowded. And so we were looking everywhere for the right facility to move into as a church, as a young church. We looked into schools, hotels, warehouses, and none of them were working out. Either they were too big, too small, too pricey. Um, and I just felt like we just couldn't find the right thing. It was, and so I was in prayer, and I, and I just sat there, and I said, God, I don't know what to do. We already announced that we're going to leave, and we don't know where we're going to go. But I realized that by faith, I just wanted to say, you know what? I know God's going to provide a wonderful place. When I finally released that to God and not holding it in my own power, and I just said, God, this is your church, not mine. And so please provide us a place. Believe it or not, a week later, I got a call from the school facilities manager in Diamond Bar, and she called me with such excitement because she, all she had given me was bad news for the past several weeks. 
And then she said, Jimmy, Jimmy, I have great news. The principal of the Diamond Bar said, yes, you can come into their place, even though she said no previously. And I said, what changed? She goes, I don't know. <laughs> and I said, Linda, let me tell you, it was the power of my God. God provides when I don't know how to provide. The same thing happened here at Christ Central. I was coming in right at the transition when Christ Central was launching a second campus. And Valencia High was a fantastic place to worship, but it wasn't our first choice. And a few months later, guess what happens? Hope International University opens up. And within a year, I believe, God opened the doors for Christ Central to move in there, which was, I heard, our first choice. You see, what we try to do sometimes in our own power, God in his good time, oh man, he shows us how powerful he is and how he's at work in the ministry. For he is our God. Hudson Taylor, a British missionary to China, said these words. He said, There are three stages in the work of God. Impossible, difficult, done. <laughs> I read that and I said, yes, that is our God. What seems impossible, what seems too difficult for me, it's done. Because ministry is in the hands of an almighty God. I think right now maybe some of you are wondering with COVID and with all the things that have been going on and staying at home and not knowing the future, maybe you're wondering where is God? I want to suggest to you that God has never moved and he's never left. And perhaps maybe God is asking us, where are you? For years I've heard people say, that they should pray more. And sometimes these are the very people who would ask and complain, where's God? Why is he not present? And this is where we want to be assured that God is present. He said he will never leave nor forsake, that he would be with us to the very end of the age. And all we need to do to realize God's presence and his power and his place in our lives is simply to just turn around and to recognize that he is present. So the reality of ministry is filled with intense joy as well as pain. It recognizes the authority and the power of God at work. And thirdly, the reality of ministry is that ministry leads us to yearn for the Lord's will to be done. This last uh, few verses is Paul's prayer his intercession on behalf of the Thessalonian church. It sounds like a benediction. It says, Now may, the, may, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another, for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. The first thing Paul does is he prays for God's leading and provision. That God would open the doors for them to return to Thessalonica. That they would be reunited with those beloved brothers and sisters. And as Paul prays this, you see his yearning. His yearning to return. And that this is not 
these are not doors or opportunities Paul can just create for himself. It's not like he can just go and get a visa and just return. There was hardships. There was persecution. The, the spiritual doors were closed. Only God can open them. And so he prays. When we don't pray, we miss out on all that God wants to do and is doing. Paul secondly prays for God's love to be central so that the church will have his aroma and not our own. In verse 12, when he prays this, he prays that they may abound and increase in love for one another and for all. This love was not just to be contained, but it was to be shared. But it began in the, the, the gathering, the fellowship of the local church. To love one another as he has loved us. As Paul loved the Thessalonians, as much as the Thessalonians loved Paul and Timothy and his band of brothers. You know, these days, I know there's a longing for us to gather together. And you know, almost like a dream of the future, someone asked me, Jim, what will it be like when we get together again in the sanctuary? And all I could say is, you know what? I know what I'm going to be like. I'm just going to be a hot mess. Because when I see these people that we haven't seen for so long, I know there's going to be a lot of tears, tears of joy. Because that's what love is. It's what fellowship is. It's when we long for those who have a common love for Jesus. And when we see each other, it's going to be sweet. Don't you miss singing worship songs to our God together? Don't you miss hugging each other and saying, good to see you? You know, these days I've, I've been a participant or a recipient of loving drive-bys of people who've dropped off food um, or as we got to drop off certain things for certain people and when we got a chance to see them from a distance, oh, that we were just close to tears because we miss each other so much. And I know that as, as, as I was reading this text, I thought, man, I kind of understand a little bit of what Paul is feeling. And so Paul prays for them to come together again and prays for their love, not just for the church to share with each other because they need each other during persecution. They need each other's strength and, and fellowship and encouragement with one another, but also to love others. And so as he prays, he prays for his people to practice on earth how we are to live in glory, to be ready for his return. In verse 13, he says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless and in holiness. You know, as our whole growth, our journey of faith, it's in the hand of God. Yes, we participate by being obedient and practicing the disciplines of our faith. But what, is, what are those practices without the conviction of the Holy Spirit? What are those practices without the conviction of the gospel that reminds us and, and constantly takes us to a place where every day we're, we're shown the feeble attempts that we might make and somehow God uses that to bless others? As a pastor and as a minister for all these years, I can't tell you how many times I told the Lord, I'm so unworthy. And each time God says, yes, you are unworthy. I've never been worthy. 
None of us are ever worthy to serve or stand and say, this is what the Lord says. I mean, who is worthy of such a calling? But God, he establishes our hearts and he calls us and grows us to live a life that is holy and blameless before him. You know, we were saved not to live in another burden. The idea of holiness or living a blameless life, for many might seem like drudgery. For some people, to live an obedient life as a Christian may seem like to them not a freedom but a burden, laws to obey, commandments to follow. But I want to tell you a little secret. You've got it backwards if you think that. You see, to follow Jesus is not burden or, or wearisome or, or heavy. It's actually freedom itself. Because we were saved to be free from sin. To live in it would be to go backwards. And so we were delivered to be free. For freedom we were set free, writes Paul in Galatians. And so that we can live in the joy of actually being able to obey the one we love. But there's one more thing. That part of this sanctifying work is for us to be able to see things as God sees them. John Stott in his commentary on this text, he writes, There is no greater stimulus to holiness than the vision of the parousia when Jesus comes in glory with his holy ones. The word parousia here that I quote, the root meaning is to be present with to be present with someone, to have to come to be with someone. And what it's, what it's announcing is that there is a day when Jesus will return and we will be present with him. The Latin equivalent is the word Advent that we use for Christmas or, or for the second coming. And as we remember, what I shared with you is that ministry is Christ's heart and care for people to live in and through the local church that one of the beauties of ministry is being able to see the people, the world, as God sees. You know, there was a time when my wife and I, Jen, had a big fight. And I was so angry at her. And I remember feeling guilty of feeling angry, so I took it to God in prayer, and I wanted to kind of justify my anger and justify my complaint. And as I sat there and complained to God about the quirks of my wife that brought me so much anger... And I, and I remember thinking, how can he love her? It's just, she's so hard to love. And I was just thinking these things, and I was so angry. And the thought that came to my mind was that he loves her because he sees her, not just as she is, but as she will be. That this is not the finished product. That in glory, Jennifer will be perfect. But for now, his grace covers her. And the question of my heart was, so Jimmy... Can you love her with grace the way I love you? I want to share with you that time turned from complaint to tears. Because I saw a glimpse of how Jesus loves my wife. And I'm so wretched because I want her to be everything I want her to be. In my time, in my ways. John C. Maxwell, a, a, a leader and speaker in church leadership, writes, 
that the goal of the pastor is not to get people to show up, but to get people to grow up. I needed to grow up. I needed to learn what it meant that the secret of ministry that I've learned over these years is not so much the eloquence of the things that I can say, but sometimes just being present with people who are crying. Sometimes visiting a funeral and just being present, doing nothing at the funeral, but just going through the line and giving someone a hug and just saying, I'm so sorry. That there's a ministry that's happening. To be prayerful. To constantly be interceding for others. But that when you hear a prayer request, that you don't just say, oh, we'll be praying for you and forget. But take that moment, that initial moment when someone shares something, just grab a hold of them and pray. Or if they call you and, and, and they tell you a prayer request or send an e- email or you hear that prayer request over a Zoom meeting, say, you know what, can we just pray right now for that person? Ministry is the privilege and, exp- and to experience Jesus' heart for others, for the world. It's a privilege to live out his heart and allow us to be his agents so that he can live out his heart and love for others through us. To be vessels of jars of clay, to hold this treasure of the gospel, and to be able to be a vessel with which he can express his love to the world. Christ Central we're, not, we're far apart, but we're not as far apart as Paul was from Thessalonica. And we long for the day when we'll be together again. I know I do. But until that day, and even after that day, I want to encourage us to do ministry if, as if Jesus were doing ministry here on earth through us. And we get the privilege to hear, to see, and to experience all the things that God would be doing, and he is doing right now. One day, we will be taken home, and I promise you that all the scars of ministry, all the pains that we have felt, and all the joys that we have spoken of will all come together and be purified, and it will be beautiful. But until that day, we labor together for the sake of our Lord and for his glory. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this time. And I want to thank you for the privilege to be a fellow servant with my brothers and sisters. For the fellow pastors and elders and deacons. For the rest of the church who all serve in various ways at home and in their community. May you help us to love you and to continue to see the ministry of your local church as a beautiful and and yet growing instrument of how you bless and love others. Thank you for the privilege. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.